Now the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on their road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself upon its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Please turn with me now to your bulletin to our New Testament reading. John chapter 15, verses 5 to 8. Continuing from our text last week, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we're going to go ahead and just continue our, our, our text from last week. Uh, if you remember, um, my, ab, my little iPad just had a little hiccup. There we go. All right. If you remember from last week, we were talking about John 15, and we're talking about unity, about remaining in Jesus together, about abiding in Jesus together as one body. And, and, and today, we're just going to talk about the next section that Jesus brings up here. Um, you know, and I think that one of the great things about this is also that today happens to be a communion Sunday. You know, some churches take communion every week, which is wonderful, but sometimes when we do it once a month, it really lines up well, I think, with what we talk about, and it helps us really understand what God is doing. And so as a reminder from last week, after telling the disciples to remain in him, 
Remember, this is the night before Jesus Christ is, is betrayed, or the night of his betrayal, the night before he's crucified. Jesus says to his disciples, remain in me. And that means, of course, remaining not just in Jesus, but in God the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. And he also is telling his disciples to remain unified under the banner or under the umbrella, if you will, of God as we continue on together. And so he says in verse 5 here, apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, as, as he did in the verses just prior, he is emphasizing there is a mutuality in these commands. It is not just remain in me, it is remain in me and I will remain in you. We saw this again a few weeks ago with Matthew chapter 28. All authority has been given to me and I will be with you. Right? Jesus promises he will be with us, and so our abiding, our remaining with him is mutual. He is with us as we will be with him. And it's not just, again, many of us think about this just individually, but no, he's saying this to his disciples. It's a room full of people. And so when we think about abiding with Jesus, when we think about remaining with Jesus, we don't just think about it as, what am I doing? But also, what are we doing? This is communal, right? We have to do church together. And then he says in verse 6, If you do not remain with me, if you choose to disconnect from me the vine, then yes, you will in fact wither and die. Now immediately, of course, many of us who maybe are more sensitive get a little worried, get a little scared. I don't want to wither and die. How do I stop this? But... Let's just keep this very practical. How many of you at one time in your life have decided, I know better than God. I know what to do in this situation. I have all wisdom in the world. I am going to go and do my thing. Uh How's that worked out for you? Or maybe you had a season in your life where you decided, I don't need to go to church. I'm kind of annoyed with church or I'm annoyed with those Christians or I just don't have time. I'm just so tired on Sundays, so I'm just not going to go to church. And then a couple of weeks turns into a couple of months, and then a couple of months turns into maybe a year or more, and then you look at your life and you wonder, how did I get here? I know it sounds bad, but even as a pastor, I've done this. A couple of weeks, ah, I'm really enjoying just making really big breakfasts on Sunday morning, so I'm just going to skip church for a few months in between jobs. And what's amazing is no matter what it looks like, is if we, and many of you know this and can give testimony to this, that if we depart from Christ, we know how it goes for us, don't we? We know that when Jesus says that if we disconnect from him, then we will wither and maybe even die. We know sometimes firsthand what that might look like. We end up mired in sin. We end up in a deep, dark place. Like Psalm 69, I believe, says that when we feel like we're in a deep, dark hole and no one can hear us. And I want to point out something here that many of us, especially if we come from a Western mindset, are very utilitarian in our faith, right? That we think about it's about results and producing. Let me point something out here. Jesus does not say anyone who does not bear fruit is thrown out. Jesus says very clearly, anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out. See, many of us, when we come to church, maybe it's how we've been trained. Maybe it's... it's, us pastors, maybe it's our fault, right? We've we've trained people or we grew up in churches where we thought it was about having results, right? We've thought that, okay, 
I need to remain in Jesus, yes, but I need to be bearing this fruit and showing this fruit to the world. And yes, that is important. But we live in a world that's based like this. All of our jobs are like this. It is performance-based. Show me your performance for the year. Let us have a performance review. But in many ways, what Jesus says is that really it's about remaining in him. The fruit will come. But the qualifier he gives here to his disciples, which I think is very fascinating, is not those who do not bear fruit will be thrown out, but those who do not remain with me will be thrown out. Those who do not abide in me will find their destruction. And so let me just suggest to you for the sake of this morning that that we don't really need to worry about the results so much, do we? We don't really need to worry about the fruit we're producing so much as our, let's just start at the foundation first. Are we remaining in the vine of Jesus? Are we remaining with Jesus? And let me just say, what a great reminder, right? What a great reminder for those of us who struggle sometimes with our faith to be very results or works-based. And let me also just point out here, too, that sometimes people will want to equate this passage to hell or to the afterlife. And it's not a passage necessarily about that. It's not a theology of hell or what happens when we die. What Jesus is saying here, and I believe this to be true, to his disciples, he's saying, listen, abide with me and I will abide with you. Depart from me and it will lead to destruction, period. It's not a difficult, difficult lesson. So verse 7, what does he say? How do we avoid this destruction? How do we avoid this withering and dying? Again, I don't know how many times he says it. I probably should have counted. Remain in me, verse 7. And when you do, my words will remain in you. So he's not just saying, I will be with you, but all the things I've taught you, all the lessons you have learned, all the things you have seen, how you have seen me, Jesus, bring the kingdom of God healing people, preaching, doing all of these wonderful things, bringing the heart of God to the earth, will remain with you as well. You will take these things with you. And so Jesus is not just with us as like someone, you know, in our corner encouraging us, but as someone who has already set the example for us. That we would take, as the Old Testament says, the scriptures and put them in our hearts and on our minds. And if his teaching was not enough, if his words were not enough, if his promise to be with us was not enough, he then says something else to his disciples that is amazing. He says, ask whatever you wish in verse 7. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How good is our God that he abides and remains with us. That he has given us his teaching in the best way to live, as Paul says at the end of Corinthians, the most excellent way to live. And he also says, then you may also ask whatever you wish. God offers offers us himself in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit to go with us, and that you and I can go to the God of the universe and ask whatever our hearts desire of him. And he goes on in verse 8, and this is so we would know the glory of our God. This is to my Father's glory that you would remain with me, that you would pray, that you would ask, and that you would go and bear much fruit into the world. So Jesus says, remain in me and be people who pray. I talked about this a few weeks ago, how grateful we are for those people who are the real prayer warriors in our lives. 
Church, we need to be people who pray. Part of our remaining in Jesus, part of our calling, is that we would go and ask God the things that burden our hearts. And so, the main lesson I just want to focus on this morning, as I said, it's a simple one, but an important one. Do we pray? I mean, do we pray really? What are we asking the Lord? And when I say we, I don't just mean you individually, but we as a church body, we as a community. What are we as a community interceding to the Lord on behalf of our neighbors? Because many of us, as I said, we struggle with a utilitarian faith. How many of you sometimes think of prayer as a chore? I'm just going to be the guilty one and raise my hand. I think sometimes in my head, I need to pray more. I feel like it's a chore sometimes. I sometimes think in my head, oh, I need to pray more. And it almost burdens me. Why don't I pray more? How does this stuff get into our head? That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, this is not a chore. This is not a burden. This is a gift. I am telling you, I am blessing you with this. Ask of me what you would want. And it will glorify my Father in heaven and you will bear much fruit. This is a gift of Jesus to his disciples as his friends, as children of the living God. Prayer is a gift, not a chore. A book I have that talks about prayer says that the disposition we need to cultivate, even when the weight of the world is heaviest, is that of remembering that God exists And God loves us. We are not alone, lost, or in the presence of nothingness. Let me read that again. The disposition of prayer he's talking about. The disposition of prayer that Christians need to cultivate, even when the weight of the world is on us the most, is that we need to remember that God exists and that God loves us. That we need to be people who have this disposition in prayer. That that this is a gift God has given us and that we need to accept that gift Jesus has given us. That we call out to God because we cannot do anything by ourselves, but we call out to God like a child who does not yet know how to walk and cries out to its parent for attention and help because it does not know how to go forward. This is the attitude we should have to our God in prayer. Because God, the scriptures tell us, will give it to us. If we look at our Old Testament text with Joshua, this is a phenomenal passage for a lot of reasons. And this is about the conquest of Canaan and Joshua and Israelites' armies going and trying to defeat the Canaanites. And and I'm not going to get into the science of this passage, okay? Many people really struggle with Joshua because of this passage. Um, It says the earth, or the sun stood still. Well, we know the sun doesn't move, so what are we talking about? Did the earth stop spinning? What was happening? back? We're not going to talk about physics today. Um, If you would like a wonderful article on this, I can send you one. We're not going to talk about that necessarily. What we're going to talk about is Joshua's heart to God. Joshua wants to go forward. Joshua wants to serve. Joshua wants to fulfill the promises that he has given, that God has given him, rather. And in his prayer, though, what's amazing is he prays to God that God would deliver his enemies into his hands. 
And what I love about this passage so much is that Joshua thinks, okay, this is on me. I have to do this. I'm going to pray to God, and God will give me the ability to do this thing. But Scripture actually tells us, yes, Joshua and his army are fighting, they're serving, they're doing everything they can, but the Lord is the one who does this work. The Lord throws them into confusion. The Lord sends these mighty hailstones. And Scripture tells us that it is actually the work of God that accomplished this more than Joshua and his armies. The Lord brings about the results for the people of Israel. (laughs) Isn't that great? See, when we read through Scripture, by the way, you see this over and over again with people's prayers. And so let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, IPC, when we remain in Jesus, when we remain with one another in community, when we engage in actively praying with and for one another, the Lord will bring about his results. The Lord will bring about results that are good. The Lord will do his will among us. And if we really believe the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus Christ, this will bring the kingdom of God to earth. So what must we do? First, as we said last week, we remain in Jesus, both individually and communally. And then second, we would accept the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ and we would pray. We would pray individually. We would pray together. We would pray for and with one another. So when I ask you, do you pray, let me just give you some specifics. Do you stop to pray before that difficult phone call? Do you stop to pray before you meet with that person? Do you stop to pray before you write that email? Do you stop to pray before you have to talk to the family member you haven't talked to in months or years? Do you stop to pray before you go into your boss's office knowing that it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable? Do you stop to pray before you have a wonderful dinner with family and friends just asking that it would be about God's glory? Do we pray? And let me challenge you that this again is not just individual, but it is communal. That we would not only pray for ourselves and by ourselves, but that we would pray together and for one another. It is an amazing gift of the Lord that he has blessed us with. Even when things are hardest, even when it feels like the world is crushing us, prayer is a reminder that God exists and that God loves us. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, this midday, hear this. The gift of prayer is a reminder that God exists and that God loves you. And so let me encourage you to pray for one another and with one another. Let me encourage you that when we pray for one another, that we are reminded that the same love God has for us, God has for them. And so if we are ever in conflict, if we are ever in strife, if we are ever arguing, the gift of prayer brings us to the same plane as children of God. And if Scripture is to be taken truthful, which of course I believe it is, then both of our passages today remind us that God will accomplish his ends through us. And it will be to his glory, not our own. And it will not be to our glory. Sometimes we don't like what happens, right? One of the number one questions I always get about prayer is what what do we do with unanswered prayers, right? What do we do when we pray for something fervently, when we pray for a young person who is sick and they still die? 
What do we do with these things? What do we do when, when something is, we're fighting and things are difficult? How do we pray for these things when we don't feel like God is going to bring about the result we want? How do we go forward? Remember how Jesus said his words will also remain with us? Let me read this to you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I love that passage. See church, we're supposed to be people who pray. And and let me just also encourage you, prayer can be anything. It doesn't have to be this beautiful, peaceful, you know, butterflies flying around, a ray of sunshine comes in magically and you're just sitting in the presence of God. It can be yelling, it can be silent. It can be crying, it can be angry. It can be with others, it can be alone. (laughs) One of my favorite denominations, there's a church in the U.S. called, they're called Quakers. And one of the worship things they do is they all get in a plain room And they just sit and pray in silence. And that's a worship service. There's no music. There's no preaching. They just sit and pray in silence. And listen for God. Prayer can be a lot of things. But we need to be people who pray. And and let's just, you know, address what's going on. Right now, IPC, more than anything, we need to be people who pray. More than anything, we need to be people who pray. Because it feels like we are in a storm. It feels like we are being bombarded and the weight of the world is upon us. And maybe you think this, and as I said last week, maybe you think this other side, maybe you're sad, maybe you're angry. All of those things are okay. But if you feel like we're in a storm, if you feel like things are uncertain, let me read you one more quote about prayer. By prayer, I mean not that which is only of the mouth, meaning speaking, but that which brings springs from the bottom of the heart. In fact, just as trees with deep roots are not shattered or uprooted by storms, in the same way, prayers that come from the bottom of the heart, having their roots there, rise to heaven with complete assurance. This is just an old monk theologian from the fourth century. But our prayers, are our prayers chores? Are we doing it because we feel obligated? Or are we actually calling out from the deepest parts of who we are to the God of the universe? Seeking his ends and seeking his glory. And so, earlier Jesus mentioned to his disciples that if we do not remain in him, we can do nothing. You Me, we are free to choose. Will we remain in Jesus, be people who pray, people who bear fruit and bring about God's glory in this world? Or will we depart from Jesus and go down a path of destruction that many of us have walked before and we know leads to nothing good, yet we constantly choose to do it? Will we go down the road that brings us closer together to help accomplish God's glory in our individual lives and in our communal life here at the International Protestant Church, remaining in Jesus, remaining together, praying together, praying with and for one another, 
Or will we depart from the vine? Because the end goal is not up to us. God will accomplish his work in the end. You and I, we are called to remain in Jesus and be people who pray. Period. And so let me encourage you. Accept the gift Jesus offered his disciples. And may you be a person who prays. And may you be a person who prays not just when it fits your schedule, not just when you remember, but all the time from deep down in your soul, from the very person you are, that your heart would be rooted and established in the love of Jesus. And that that would be the source of your strength. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the gift of prayer. Lord, may we not think of it as a chore. May we not think of it as a task. May we accept the gift you give us to share our hearts, to share our burdens, to share our passions with you and with one another. May we take hold of this gift and never let it go. May we pray to you with and for one another. May we trust you with the outcomes. And may we above all be people who remain and abide in you and who do not depart from you. Give us the strength and the courage to live like this, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.